Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. We are currently going to continue in our sermon series in the Psalms, and as Sandy mentioned, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that today we're going to go through a psalm of lament. Uh, we'll explain what that is here more in a second. But uh, just so you guys know, <clears throat> I, I actually schedule the sermons. <laughs> I, don't, I don't look to see what's going on around and try to plug in a sermon for that. <laughs> it's, it's all pre-planned. It's just the Lord shows me what to do and that's kind of what I'm going to do, right? And so to me, it's, it's, it's amazing. but to be expected for the Lord to speak to us in the times that we're in. And so as we look at this psalm today, uh, just one thing that I want to go through is in, is in Ecclesiastes. It's just a good reminder for us. Ecclesiastes is full of wisdom just for life. The main theme here is that this life is so short, you know, and we're not going to focus on Ecclesiastes today, but I want to just read this passage uh, that I think is just so, so important for us to be reminded of. Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep. There's also a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Isn't that interesting that life throws at us different types of seasons? You know, I'm reminded of a story of a father who had four sons. And he sends them away to this place where they will find a tree. I don't know if you've heard this story. He says, go to such and such place and you will find a tree. And that's where my estate is, right? You will see this tree. Well, father, can you describe the tree to us? It's a big, beautiful tree. And the first young man goes and he goes off into the winter and he finds nothing but a barren dead tree. The second young man goes and he goes into spring and he sees a tree that's not even green, it's pink full of flowers and blooms. The next young man goes and he finds a big green tree. And the final guy goes and he sees an orange tree. And so when they come back together, they realize this isn't in the same tree. Like dad, your descriptions just didn't fit. Well, the fact of the matter is that different seasons cause for different looks in life, right? And so with that comes a time of rejoicing, a time of praising. And we talked about that last week, that we have reason to praise God in everything, really. But life is sometimes chaotic. Life is sometimes messy. Life sometimes brings us or throws us curveballs that we don't know what to do with. And so it hurts. And I know that we've all experienced those things, you know, and some at different levels than others. Some, some of us experience hurt or let's say trial because of financial issues, some relational issues, and some 
goodness, I don't even know. It can come from anywhere and everywhere. And it almost seems that when it rains, it pours. You've heard that saying, right? And so sometimes we can be easily disoriented when we're feeling brokenhearted, when we're feeling let down. We can feel discouraged to the degree where we're doubting even our salvation, perhaps. We're doubting our creator and we're wondering, God, are you even there? You know, let me tell you something. It's not wrong to do that, actually. It is natural. It is just part of being a human to feel these ways and to have these, these kind of thoughts to ask God to, to, to say, to plead to him, where are you? You know, it, if you're like this and you beat yourself down for doubting God here and there, let me just tell you, you're not alone. This happens to everyone in life because God is, is so beyond us. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And sometimes we feel and think that he ought to reveal himself or respond to life the way we would hope for or would want to. But God has greater plans for our lives. And sometimes times of mourning, times of distress, times of hurt, times of pain are part of that process. You know, and so today we're going to look into the third psalm, a psalm of David. And, 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 you know, sometimes as we were saying, we're so disoriented with our feelings. Our feelings could really make a mess of our mind, could really make a mess of our thoughts. And, and sometimes, I don't know if maybe you're like me, maybe not. And sometimes you end up praying things that you kind of have to repent for later on, you know. And I don't know if you've done this before, but you probably have if you're human. Who knows? Maybe you guys are way more sanctified than I am. But I have said prayers here and there that have sounded like this. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, please punch that guy in the face. Lord, he needs a God smack right now to set him straight in the name of Jesus. You say that vengeance is mine. Take vengeance on him, O oh Lord. Amen. Have you ever prayed something like that? Yeah, all the time. Or, or perhaps it's something else where it's very dark and gloomy. It's like, God, I can't handle this anymore. Just take me away from here. God, why do you even give me another breath of life? And instead of seeing that as a gift of God, we almost look at it as a curse because of our surrounding circumstances, right? Because we don't know how we're going to keep advancing, how we're going to take the next step. We don't know what the next day is going to look like for us. And again, circumstances are very unique and individual. But also in Ecclesiastes, we see that there's nothing new under the sun, meaning that what you're dealing with right now is not foreign. In fact, it is very likely that the person next to you or the row behind you knows exactly what you're going through because he or she has also experienced that. I think that's a nice thing. That's a beautiful thing of being part of the body of Christ, just being people. We're relational beings. We can have conversation with one another. We can be empathetic towards one another. And imagine that and how beautiful it is to have that privilege. Now, turn that up another notch and realize that God is also very present and relational to us. And he's accessible. And we can also talk to him about our concerns. We can also talk to him about our aches and our pains. And we should. And again, we have another beautiful example of what to do in the dark hour. And that's today's sermon title, The Dark Hour. I don't, again, I don't think it's coincidence that we're talking about this right now because I know that many of us are going through several different circumstances. They're just tough. It, it, it makes my circumstance sometimes just 
looked not that bad. <laughs> you know, like I thought I was having a hard week because my AC went down and I had to replace it. You know, it's like, oh no, this is a huge trial. But the fact of the matter is that there are things that are more costly than that even, you know, that they hurt more. And, and, and God knows, he's aware and he cares. And that's beautiful. But here's what I want to just point out. You know, sometimes we pray these prayers out of frustration. Sometimes we don't know what to say, and that's okay. But here's what's a good thing to do. Even in our frustrations, when we are tempted to run from the Lord, when we're tempted to hide from Him, it is so good to come to Him. It is okay. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. It's okay to go to the Lord and say, God, what's up? What is going on? I'm hurting. I'm suffering. You know that the Lord has allowed us to lament? And that's the key word today. He has allowed us to bring our complaints to him. But there's a good way to do this. And there's also very wrong way to do this. Like, for example, my prayer, we shouldn't ask the Lord to impose damage on other people because that's our will or to end something because we don't like it. You know, God is not our servant in the sense that he's our butler and our hitman, and we can invoke him to do our bidding. So many of us approach him that way because of how we're feeling. And we say, man, God, you're so not good because of what I'm going through right now. We need to be careful with that. We need to be careful with who we're speaking to. We, last week we talked about praise and we saw that his name is magnificent, majestic, and absolutely worthy of all honor and praise. But then when the things get hard, we kind of switch that. But see, God is never changing. God is constant. He's, yes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so having that known, we can come to him and we can approach him. And we can bring our anxieties to him because he cares. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you care for me? David knew this, and so he comes to the Lord and he pours his heart out to him. Now, I want to share with you this psalm of lament. And I, I'm thinking right now, that I'm going to throw a part two of this out. I will pray on that. But what does it mean to lament? To lament means to mourn, to grieve, to weep, or to wail. It is an expression of sorrow. That's what lament means. And we're not, we're not told that this is a bad thing to do because sometimes we say, oh, you, should, you just need to get over it and be happy because the Lord saves, right? And he's good and everything's great. Life is not that clean. In fact, I'll be the first to admit that when my family members, my wife or whoever it may be, is going through a moment or season of lamentation, of lament, I'm overly optimistic to the point where I'm more hurtful than helpful. It's okay to feel down here and there, right? But God gives us a good key in order to turn our mourning into dancing. And so this time of mourning, this grieving, it's okay. <clears throat> Now, again, just a reminder, it's not our place to demand of the Lord to take away any kind of discomfort because he's higher than we are. It is still more than okay to come to him, though, with our discomfort. And so that's what we ought to do. Lament is a common theme throughout the meta narrative of Scripture. Remember I told you that the five books of Psalms, that the Psalms are made up, align really nicely with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible? You know, Psalm 1, we talked about creation and the beauty of God's creation, which is very consistent with Genesis 1, the creation of God. And then we're in chapter 3, the, the third Psalm, which is very consistent with chapter 3 of Genesis, which is the fall. It's the moment that sin entered the world and man experiences grief for the first time, right? 
and, and there's this severance of relationship with God. It almost feels like, in Genesis, it definitely was the case that God was all of a sudden distant to them. They were removed from the garden, from the presence of God. And now David is lamenting in a way where he feels like the Lord has separated himself from him. And we know that feeling. We know that sometimes it feels that God has abandoned us, has left us. And so again, this is consistent with that. And I want to show this to you because it's so good. This, 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 this moment of lament is okay. It's part of our building up. It's part of growing. It's, it's part of our sanctification. It's, it's not just okay. It's a good thing for us. And I know that's not what we want to hear in the moment, but it's something that the Lord uses to build us up. In fact, it's so good to us that an entire book is devoted to laments and it's called Lamentations. Okay, so it's okay to bring our griefs and our sorrows to the Lord. And in fact, it's important to do so in the Lord, because if you go somewhere else to to try to deal with that, it's going to take you into a darker place. So let me let me share with you Psalm three. Let's read that together. Follow along with me. It says this, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek you break the teeth of the wicked salvation belongs to the lord your blessings be on your people amen let's pray lord we come before you lord jesus just acknowledging that sometimes love life is hard but lord we ought to come to you and so that's what we're doing we're coming to you lord jesus with our complaints with our problems and lord we know that you're good that you're constant And only through you are we able to experience victory, comfort, peace, Lord Jesus. And to grow, Father, to be more sanctified, to be more like you. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today as we go through this passage, that you would stir our hearts, Father, that you would comfort our hearts, Lord Jesus, if we're going through any kind of moment of trial right now. So at this time, we ask that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, interesting fact. This is the very first psalm with a title. Did you catch that? Now, if you look at your Bibles, there's usually little headers or little titles in the chapters. Those are not necessarily, you know, part of the scriptures. The, 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 the people, the translator of the whatever version that you're reading will sometimes throw a title out there, title out there to help us understand what's going on in that passage. But this particular psalm actually has a title from the author. And the title is A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So if you're not familiar with this event of David's life, you can find this in 2 Samuel chapter 15, 16, I think 17. I think it goes through 18 as well. But just a, just a little you know, recap of what's going on. David, who is king of Israel, has a son. His name's Absalom. And Absalom is craving the throne. But here's what's interesting. I'm sure that's not uncommon for any kind of uh, king, kingship or kingdom or royal family. But what was interesting is that Absalom actually was very successful in turning the hearts of men in Israel against David and towards him. That's what makes this situation fascinating. And so to the degree where as people came and entered the gates of Israel to seek judgment from the king, Absalom would woo them. He would schmooze them. 
who would turn them against the king and turn them towards himself, making them think that he's a better, more suitable person to reign and to, to, to really deliver judgment on the people. He would say things like, oh, unfortunately, the king does not have someone to work in your district or your town or your neighborhood. If I were king, I would make sure that that would be the case for you. And so people really loved Absalom to the degree where Israel turned against the king, the King David. Okay? And it happened so much, so badly, that it came to the point where David had to flee from his own home because his son was determined to take the throne. And the only way he could take the throne is if the king was eliminated which meant that David needed to be died, needed to be killed, he needed to die. Thank you for laughing at that, <laughs> right? And so if you can imagine being David, this is not an easy thing. Now we know that David loved his son, so it's not like he was an enemy of his son, he really loved his son. And so the fact that this was a circumstance that he had to deal with was very heartbreaking. It was a double whammy. One, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's conflict between him and his son, and two, now there's conflict between his son and his, his, his throne. It's a political issue as well. And so here we have an expression. This is what's going on. This is what David is experiencing when he writes this psalm. And then in this psalm, we find another instructive example of a genuine faith in the midst of dire circumstances. Now, I can guarantee you this. We have all experienced dire circumstances. If you're a kid, trust me, you're going to experience those as well. Circumstances that are hard in life that are just going to make you want to shut down and cry. That's what life looks like sometimes. And so if you can imagine what it must have been to be like David, to be murderously pursued and hunted by your own child. David felt broken. He felt overwhelmed by the weight of opposition. So what did he do? This is what's important for us to learn from. He brought this to the Lord. He went to the Lord in prayer. And this is what he presents. The first thing that he presents, and I'm going to show you the outline for today's sermon because this is what we're going to follow. The first thing that he presents is the problem. God, I have a problem. Here it is. Boom. Lay it out there. The next thing that he goes is acknowledge the protection that only comes from God. Because David has a relationship with God. God is not a foreign person to David. He knows who God is, and he knows that only God is his source of protection. And then from there, David is, is, is able to experience a supernatural peace. And so there's this peace that comes from coming to the Lord with our problems. And to being reminded of his glory and who he is, just truths about it. And he's able to rest and be in this peace. And out of that, he's able to experience the power of God and the power of pardon and forgiveness. And so everything that's going on, the Lord takes care of at the end. All right. And this is just one example of the things of circumstance or the circumstances of what life may look like. And this is very specific to an event that happened. And I think it's a great uh, just example to use because we have a little bit more context of what David is going through. But you can flip through the pages of the Psalms. You can find many Psalms that are filled with lamentations that are very helpful for us today that instruct us in how to go through those moments, the, the dark hour. And so let's take a look at the first step here, the problem, verse one and two or of this psalm, it says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Now, the problem that David was facing is pretty straightforward. It's obvious. 
He's being forced out of his home and into the wilderness because Absalom was wooed, has wooed the people and Israel's now against him. And so Absalom has successfully won over more than just the people. He's also won over the king's council, the king's guardsmen, the king's uh, generals. He's, Absalom has really done a good job to turn Israel against his father. And so what David had to do is he literally had to leave in the spur of the moment. He had to leave the palace. He had to leave his, his house. And he only, he asked 10 people, okay, you guys stay here. We're all leaving. So he and his family go and they walk through the wilderness and they're gonna go hide, hide outside. So this is the situation that he, he is living and he's, he expresses it right here. Here's the problem, Lord. I have a lot of enemies. Many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation in him. Now David went from being the greatest in the land, the most popular of people. He was King David. We've heard so many stories about him. He was beloved. And he went from that to being marked for destruction. David was now a minority and in his opposition was getting bigger. So when he, he was up here before, he was the big, the big cheese. And now he's becoming a minority and everyone is raising up against him. And we know that just based on the passage in 2 Samuel 16. In fact, 2 Samuel 16, excuse me, 15, 12 tells us that the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And so the opposition is increasing and actively accusing David, pursuing David. And in 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 14, there's also a man named Shimei. Now this is after David is leaving Jerusalem into the wilderness. They're literally walking in the middle of the wilderness, trying to get away. And this random guy, who's actually not so random, named Shimei shows up and he starts cursing David. And he starts being a nuisance to the people who were with David. There was just a small group compared to who Jerusalem is. And then this guy comes out of the woodwork and he sees them and he curses him and he curses him. And he says things to them that are very hurtful and harmful. David is already in the low. And here's another guy just throwing salt to the wound, right? And, and then to, to add, you know, insult to injury, he starts picking up stones and throwing it at them. He hates David. This is a good opportunity for him to express that. And so he would say, this, this man, Shimei, would say things such as, and we can find this in 2 Samuel 16, 7, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Can you imagine hearing that? going through the circumstances that David is going through. And he says, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you for you are a man of blood. And, and this man did it for a long time. In fact, he did it for so long that the people who were with him asked David, sire, can I just go and chop his head off? I'm done with this man. This is kind of one of those prayers, Lord, just smack him in the teeth. You know, I'm done with this guy. Like we're already, we're already struggling here in, in the midst of the wilderness. And this guy is just coming and adding injury to, or uh, insult to injury. And so this, I think, is the statement that leads to that second verse where David says, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, this man, by the way, not so random, not so uh, random in the case that he's hateful towards David, because this is a Benjaminite. This was a family member of the previous king, Saul. And so this guy has reason to hate on David. 
He's saying, hey, Saul was the king and you reign on his behalf, right? It should be the, the family of Saul. In other words, this guy probably would have been royalty if it weren't for David. And so he hates him for that reason. <clears throat> and so this is what David's enemies and apparent circumstances are saying to him. Now, you think of the bigger picture and David's probably hearing, you can't get out of this. This dark hour, you can't get out of it. God hates you. He's done with you. Maybe you experienced such a, such a, such a experience before. You know, you've, you've known this. You've felt this before where you think that God hates you or he's done with you. Maybe you're thinking you're a loser and everyone hates you because you messed up big. And you're faulting yourself for this dark, dark hour. Maybe that could be the thing or the thing that you're hearing. Maybe these are the voices that are haunting you, right? This is a big problem for anybody. And so David knows this. So what does he do? He takes it to the Lord. God this is my problem. I have a lot of enemies and they're saying that I have lost my, that you're no longer with me, that I've lost the presence that you've, that anointing that you've given me. This is what's going on, God. And so David knows the Lord, though. This is the difference here. He has a relationship with his creator. God is not foreign to him. He's not just a story, but he's already experienced his power. And he looks at him as a certain source of protection. And so that's the next thing, the protection that comes from the Lord. Let me remind you the kind of relationship that David had with God. David has already experienced a lot of God's power. Remember, he was a shepherd boy out in the wilderness, right? And the Lord had already protected him and delivered him from lions, from bears, from wolves, from anything that tried to take his flock. And he was victorious over that. And he always experienced the Lord's presence there and protection for him, over him. This is also the same man who faced the giant Philistine named Goliath. The Lord protected him from that. This is the same man who went and fought armies and came out victorious. And people would celebrate <coughs> that Saul would kill his thousands and David his tens of thousands because the Lord was with him and he protected him through this. So the Lord's protection is not something foreign to David. He knows that God is more than able to protect them from anything. And if he's been able to protect them from all of that, he is surely capable of protecting him in this moment. And so the challenge for us today is regardless of what we're going through right now, let's think about that. What has God already seen us through? It's important to think back. What has God ha already delivered us from? How has he already showed his power and his protection over us? Because things could have been worse today if it weren't for God yesterday, right? Things today are the way that they are and we are victorious that even though we're going through more humps in the road, he has already shown us his power, his majesty, his protection. And David knows this. And so he appeals to this. And he says in verse three to four, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. He knows that this is a fact. He says, you are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Now this is where the redirecting starts happening. Because remember, David is brokenhearted. He's going through big problems but the redirecting starts happening here. This is why Psalms are so good for us. And they're so, they're just perfect for the moment. Right now, David is beginning to experience this time of problem to a time of, wow, I'm beginning to see you, Lord. I'm beginning to see your holiness, your, your, your glory. And his heart's being redirected. So instead of going down into the abyss, as we can imagine, right? He starts being redirected by being focused on the Lord. And so the terms of the situation here grow more and more positive. We see a progression 
from problem to reassurance to full-on confidence in the Lord because the Lord goes or because David goes to the Lord. So instead of losing sleep or overly stressing about the problem, which David had much reason to do, David turns to what is true about God and he's already already experienced that from God. So he's going to what he knows. David is reminded that through it all, it is God who has protected him in the first place. Therefore, he can still do it now. And he says in verse three, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. Key word. In other words, you are my confidence, my pride. It is what, this is what a lifted head symbolizes. Remember, this is poetry. And so everything has a meaning. To have a lifted head, it's, it's confidence and pride in the Lord. That's what that means. It's victory. A lower head signaled defeat and disgrace. But David says, you are the lifter of my head. And he also says, you are my glory. Look at, look at this beautiful example. In other words, all that I am, all of the glory that I have experienced in the first place is you. You are my glory. All that I am is because of you. You have given it to me because you have been with me. All those victories that I've had, it's been you. It's your glory that has been counted to me, right? You are my glory. I literally am nothing without you. And so if it's you who's doing this, so be it. You are my glory. I can depend on you. And it is an honor to serve you because you are good and you care for me. You're mindful of me. And then he says in verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. He says, I cried aloud. Look at this. David cried out loud. He didn't stuff it. He was just raw. He was honest. He came to the Lord and he said, help me. I'm hurting. The people who were with him knew that he was hurting. This is the king of Israel. And yet here he is expressing vulnerability. He's not concealing his distress. He's letting it know. Everyone around him knows that he's hurting. And I think it's amazing that everyone knows that he's going to the Lord about it too. He's crying out loud to the Lord. He's praying. He knows that only God is his source of refuge. But he also considers that maybe God has ordained this in the first place. So here's another key. He's not necessarily faulting Absalom. He's not necessarily pointing his finger at his adversary. He's actually considering the fact that maybe this is what God has ordained, that he has put this over his life for a purpose, for a reason, because David has known and experienced that God does those kind of things sometimes. Sometimes he allows us to walk through fire so that we can come out refined. And so he does not accuse his adversary. In fact, look in 2 Samuel 16, 11 through 12. He says, and David said to Abishai, Abishai, by the way, is the guy who's complaining about Shimei, who's being annoying. And so he says to, to, to Abishai and tells and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. In other words, leave him alone. Maybe this is just part of God's plan. God is faithful. He will bless those who bless me. And he will curse those who curse me. David knows. Maybe he'll bless me because of this. You know, maybe he'll show up big. God loves to show up. And only he has the right to do so, right? And so he acknowledges that God is doing something. Even in this dark hour, God is doing something and it's going to be awesome. And this is David's hope. And so... 
David says in verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. David actually experiences an answer from the Lord from his holy hill. God responds to the psalmist's cries and the good that come from this moment of lament is peace thereafter. And that's the next point, the peace. Verse 5 through 6. After experiencing this genuine problem, genuine problem, David turns to the Lord, his source of protection. He cries out and knows the truth about God. And because God is faithful and ever-changing, David is able to rest in the midst of his protection in peace. He says in verse 5, I lay down and slept. Come on, guy. Absalom's after you. He's about to kill you. What you doing sleeping? God's got me. You know, I laid down and I slept. I woke again for the Lord to sustain me. Hey, I was protected over this. It was fine. God, it's got this. I felt like I couldn't make it overnight, but the Lord sustained me. And it sounds like David's distress was so great that maybe he even didn't think he would sleep at all. I mean, sometimes when we're overly stressed, we can't rest. Our mind just is flooded with the potential problem at hand. But David is able to experience the Lord's peace. David, David is able to build his encouragement. And he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In other words, regardless of the threat, I can confidently face the worst because the Lord is certainly with me. This is what David is saying. God is with me. You know, I love what Paul said, or Jesus says in John uh, 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that comes from God is powerful. It's powerful enough to turn things from lament to praise. And we see that shift happening here in this psalm. And so that's the fourth point, is the power and the pardon that comes from God. For David, who was placed in the position of kingship, refuge is good, but it wasn't enough. Because David was a victor. To settle for anything less than a victory would be a rejection of his calling and responsibility as the anointed king. So for David, being safe and being peaceful out in the wilderness was not enough. That's not his calling to be hiding in the wilderness. Therefore, he responds in verse 7, and he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. It almost sounds like that initial prayer, right? God, just give him a smackdown, you know? And this is not what he's doing. And although it sounds like that, this is actually a war cry. This was a very normal thing to pray and to say before anyone went to battle. Arise, O Lord. That was it. And then they would... They would say prayer and they would say something, but this was a roar. This is like saying them, God is great. God is coming and he's with us. And he, if he's with us, who can be against us? This is the kind of declaration that David is saying. He says, save me, oh my God, for you strike all my enemies in the cheek. In other words, you've already done this in the past. Right now I have to deal with the home problem, but you've already taken care of me even from worse. And so what David is not doing is he's not commanding the Lord to deliver God smacks, like I like to say, on his enemies. But instead, David is expressing a typical psalm that's sung at the beginning of war. In other words, David is preparing to go from running and hiding into battle, into knowing what the Lord has called him to. And that God fights for his people against their flesh and their blood enemies. God is always present. This is a battle cry prayer. It is to say, be glorified, Lord. Do your thing that only you can do. 
And then David closes the psalm with the most triumphant truths about God. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Only he can save. Your blessing be on your people. You know what he's doing? He's not just praying for himself. He's also praying for his enemies. He's praying for the people of God. He knows that salvation only comes from you and you are, you are more than capable of doing this and the blessing be on your people because you have called us to greater things. You have set us aside for your purposes. So even though we're feeling painful right now, we're feeling like we're in the darkest of hours, there's salvation that comes from you and then your blessing follows. And so that morning turns into dancing. And I love it. Even, even, even Paul knows this, you know, regardless of what the outcome, salvation is the Lord. So I can go in there and win, or I can go in there and be cut and still win because I'm already saved by the Lord. You know, and Paul, Paul knows this too. And he says this in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so now David is realizing I have nothing to lose. I have the Lord on my side. Salvation belongs to him, not to these guys. Not about what I can do, but what he has done. In this time of trouble, in this time of hardship, the thing that strengthened David, and this is key for us to know, was not the strength that he had mustered up from within. David did not muster up out of himself the strength to be able to endure this thing. What stabilizes him is not self-generated optimism. It's not also the right thing to just pretend that things aren't that things aren't bad, right? It's not self-generated optimism. David knows that earthly help is worthless when the tidal waves of life threaten to overwhelm and drown us. Instead, he looks to God and he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. He knows this truth about God. This is a beautiful posture of faith. This is what we ought to be encouraged to do when we're walking through the dark hour. Only in this way does David's internal stress and anxiety die away so that he can sleep in peace once more because he's coming to the Lord. He's putting off himself. He's putting off the things that he thinks he might need or want. And he's allowing God to do his will over his life. He's, he's, he's just moving to him and trusting in deliverance from the Lord God Almighty. So let me put these questions out for all of us to think through deeply. If we're going through a time of hardship right now, which I know a lot of us are, and some of us are maybe just experiencing the blessing of God right now. Awesome. Amen. We rejoice with you, right? But some of us are kind of going through tough times. The question is, what threatens to overwhelm you today? Think deeply about this. What threatens to overwhelm you today? And I have a follow-up question for you that is just so helpful for me based on what I'm reading here, not just this Psalm of Lamentation, but others. But do you know that we have an even greater source of calm than David did? Huh. For there is one who did not strike God's enemies on the cheek, but instead let himself be struck on the cheek. Oh, taking a different level. He experienced the ultimate rejection being nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus allowed himself to be truly overwhelmed by his enemies. And as a result, we can be confident that every overwhelming experience we face is from a loving father to help us, that we may know and experience his power, that we may know and see that he is present even when we thought he was distanced. He's there. And this is going to grow us. And perhaps this is going to give us the words, the right things, the right disposition to be able to help someone else who is in that time of suffering.
So this is amazing. Jesus has endured far worse than we could even imagine. We don't even know what that is. We don't know what it's like to be put on a Roman cross, to be humiliated in innocence, knowing that there was nothing that we did to deserve this, and yet here we are deserving of punishment, deserving of God's wrath, and he sends his son, and that while we're still yet sinners, he dies for us. Think about that. Dwell on that for a minute. And then for me personally, when I think about that, man, my problem seems so small, you know? And the victory that the Lord has accomplished through the cross is tremendous. It's amazing. But the fact of the matter is life is still hard sometimes. And so what do we do? And this is, this is the point right here. This is the instruction that we have. When life is tough, when things are bad, when we're in the dark hour, just bring your laments to him. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go to drugs. Don't go to movies. Don't go to music. Don't go to anywhere except for him when you're brokenhearted, when you're in the dark hour. Just come to the Lord in prayer and present the problem. Start there. Complain to him if you want. Present the problem, but then depend on his protection. Be reminded of the things that you've already been spared from, how he's protected you, and experience this divine peace that only comes from God. And you'll come out of this in his time, not in your time, in his time with power and a blessing, bar none. So this is the instruction, this is the demonstration that we have here from David, a servant of God Almighty. It's okay, you know, to feel like we're in the dark hour. It's normal. But God is our helper, and he will see us through this. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that when we are weak, you are strong. And that we have the ability to come to you with our aches and with our pains. And Lord, it's true that we have not been freed from the presence of sin and suffering as we continue to live in this world. And we look forward to the day where we are separated from that. And there would be even no need for prayer because we're in your glory and in your presence. There would even be no need for faith because you will be in front of us. We long for that moment. But until then, we ask that you would give us the strength the ability to be just focused on you, Father. For this world does get gloomy and dark and difficult at times. Sometimes those whom we love, we see struggle and it breaks our hearts. Sometimes we don't have the answers to the problem. Sometimes we feel like we're alone and abandoned. But Lord, your word reminds us that you're the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and that you have already done more than we deserve in the first place. That you have given us Christ Jesus, your son, to die for us and take the iniquity that was upon us. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection and he has victory over death. And we can experience life and the blessing, the abundance that comes through you, Lord. And Lord, we bring our sorrows, our problems, we display them here. We just put them at your feet, knowing that you will take good care of us in your time. In Jesus' mind, and we trust you with all of our hearts. Amen and amen.